Hi, this is Dion Baig from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Are you someone who has no idea that they can be heard? Has brilliant ideas and wants to get them out there? Has a podcast but can't keep up with the work or just wants to focus on things that matter? Then Podcast Engineers is your gateway to get your voice heard. They don't just edit your podcast. They enhance your listeners' experience. You simply do what you do best. That is to record and they do the rest. You can find them at podcastengineers.com. Rob and I have been using Podcast Engineers to help make our show sound great. Send them an email to get an episode edited free and a discounted plan. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, Episode 78. Totally secret. It's just like Fight Club. You don't talk about it. <laughs> that's what we're doing. We're there fighting. So I don't think we should share it with folks. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what it is, right? Yeah. We throw a deal into the middle of the room with like 50 people and we all like fight for it. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'd let you have it. This face is too pretty. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Erwin, thanks for being here with us. Oh, uh, honored. Honored to be on one of the biggest podcasts like there is. Sandy's not here today. He wasn't able to make it, but we wanted to work around your schedule. So I'm here to talk to you. And this is far overdue as far as I'm concerned. I'm honored. Now, you are four-time Realtor of the Year with Canadian Real Estate Wealth and the only agent to win this award more than once. Is that right? Uh, To clarify, Canadian Real Estate Wealth gave me the award back-to-back. Okay. Uh, funny, some funny story was they actually weren't supposed to. No one was supposed to win the award back to back, but they didn't make the rules apparent to the judges. So I earned it on merit. Oh, which is wow. kind of cool. There you go. Imagine which is that, cool. huh? Yeah. So then two of the other years are from the Real Estate Investment Network. Okay. And uh, your two time Michael Millinar Memorial Leadership Award with Rain, the first mm-hmm. to win twice and the youngest winner of the 2015 Gold Award winner. What does that mean? So I was actually the youngest to ever win the Michael Millinar Award because okay. I won it back in 2015. I was only, oh, that's three years ago. They named the awards the year ahead. So it was actually technically 2014. So I was only 35. So yeah, I was the youngest person to win it. And then I'm the, I'm the f- I think, uh, yeah, I'm probably the first person in Ontario to win it twice, especially this young. Wow. You got a lot of accolades here. And the uh, the uh, Gold Award winner, uh, 2015 top player for Rain. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty highly decorated at, at the Rain, at the Real Estate Investment Network. Awesome. You know, that's one. I've never been out to uh, any of the Rain meetings. So you know Russell from the interview and you, you know, we all had lunch together. You know, we have a lunch coming up with Don Campbell. Like they're amazing people. They yeah. were, they're like the pioneers of helping beginner investors showing us the way, teaching us economic fundamentals and giving us lots of tips on how to's uh, for not that much money compared to 
you know, many other organizations that charge 20, 15, 20, $35,000 a year. Mm -hmm. Right. And the last thing I want to mention here is that you are the president of the Hamilton basket brigade. Um, yes. We're going to talk about that a little bit later though. So again, thanks for being here. really do appreciate it. I know you're a busy man. You got your own <laughs> podcast. Do you want to start us off here with how you get started in real estate investing? I got started, I was working for Gateway Computers uh, at, the, at that time. And I was making not a lot of money. I had just graduated from school. I graduated the year of September 9-11th. So that's 2001. I, I graduated right after that. So it was a that we're on the beginnings of a recession, a major stock market correction. No one was hiring. I didn't have a great job. And like anybody, you want to do better. You want to get ahead in life. You start looking for better ways to make money. I did stocks, I did mutual funds. I did some real estate as well. Uh, after reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then got into real estate. And then comes the financial crisis, uh, the credit crisis of 20, 2007, 2008. And then my stocks get slaughtered. <laughs> And my real estate does wonderful, right? <laughs> People forget, like, even though it's a recession, this specifically was a credit crisis. So even they remove prices from the equation, no one could get a mortgage. Life still happens. Uh, and I mentioned life still happens because people that are applying for our apartments were mainly divorcees. So that's what I mean, life still happens. And during a credit crisis, no one can get a mortgage. Uh, so they have to rent. Mm -hmm. And so when we had vacancy, our rent went up. $30, $50. And we didn't really know what we were doing back then. We were beginners at that time. That's before I joined Rain. Uh, so we actually asked people for a $200 cash or cash equivalent deposit with an application. And we get like three, right? So then we'd have like 600 bucks. It's not all ours, right? The $200 forms part of your deposit, right? For the tenant. But then it became a pain in the butt because then we had to return money to people. And it wasn't always the easiest, right? Logistically, mm -hmm. it's not easy to return cash to people. Like you have to tell them to come back, ask them to come back or whatever. So yeah, but that's how strong tenant demand was that we were able to collect cash with an application. <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I do want to back up a little bit though. So you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Was that the beginning mm -hmm. of everything? Like, uh, Or like, did that plant seed the idea in your head? The thing was, uh, I went to business school. So I, I was uh, already slightly entrepreneurial mostly job focused. And then I, so I had some skills, but then reading Rich Dad Poor Dad kind of put it in a different frame. Also business school didn't teach us anything. I remember, I recall only maybe one mention of commercial real estate as an investment, right? Everything else was stocks, mutual fund, portfolio theory. Uh, we did a lot of traditional business stuff like accounting, marketing, all those things, operations. But then reading Rich Dad Poor Dad, what got me going was what really turned my fire was, you know, I, the more money I make, especially being Canadian, we pay more tax. Uh, if, you know, there's like people who do really well, say someone who makes like, you know, I have clients and I, have, I know about lots of people who make 200 grand a year. You make another hundred grand or 20 grand, whatever it is, you're paying over 50% tax on every dollar you make over your 200 grand, right? Mm -hmm. That's just crazy. Why work harder, take more responsibility, give more of yourself to pay more tax. And also if you're a talented individual, you're likely able to earn more as an entrepreneur than you are at your job. So to me, that, th that was saying to me that I was selling myself short, mm -hmm. right? Why accept a salary, a mid-level salary, when I'm worth my, my efforts and, and value is worth so much more. So that got me on that path. And then having an understanding of accounting, the Robert Kiyosaki makes the point, you know, the government wants you to invest. 
I'm like, hmm. So then I go down, you go on the path of like you know, doing some research behind it. Yeah, they do, right? They offer us a lot of tax benefits to be investors. Capital gains, uh, how capital gains only half your half your returns are taxable, you know, corporate structures, things like that. Active income for small businesses is taxed at a much lower rate than it is at your regular rate, your T4 rate. So yeah. It just it just made a lot of sense. So even from a tax perspective, it is a pragmatic decision to invest in real estate. Yeah. And I mean, there's all kinds of different investment strategies. Like even if you're flipping, there's tax breaks there too, as long as you, I guess, there's ways to do it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You do it in a corporation. Yeah. I'm married to an accountant. So I, I, (laughs) you you might have a grasp on some of this stuff. Some, yeah, I get that. You know, I know everyone appreciates her time because I, I, whenever we're together, she's just like, it's rapid fire tax questions from everywhere versus, you know, just driving home from the gym with my wife. I'm like, hey, can, uh, can I do this? <laughs> <laughs> Hell, like, you know, this morning I said, I was asking my wife questions around setting up an LP, a limited partnership, right? Like, uh-huh. And, uh, you know, and not many people can have that conversation with somebody at this level <laughs> and not pay for it. <laughs> yeah, I tend to agree. I can ask my wife, but she probably wouldn't at least not as well anyway right and then uh within an hour we got a quote for how the cost of that went up from a lawyer right right? a very good lawyer right so yeah because Uh, my wife has that relationship so so now so you read the book did you invest in your first property before or after you read the book after, after like us technically so it was actually my girlfriend that got us into the first property uh-huh. Right. I was still like not a game. I was not, I still hadn't gone through enough pain and failed in enough things at the time. I was thinking, Oh no, like stocks, man, stocks. You don't have to. Cause I remember the first house she, she bought, it was like low one fifty, two bedroom bungalow, one bath downtown Burlington. So I know everyone's like freaking out cause that's crazy cheap. Cause you can't even get a condo for that price. And like, it was, it was rough. Right. Like she was having to remove tile from the, the bathroom walls. Right. And, you know, I helped her for a bit and like, this is tough, right? Just take this money and buy a BMW instead, <laughs> invest in the stock market. And then, uh, you know, then I invested along with them. Uh, we got married, we later got divorced. That's another story. <laughs> but the point was that I we had investments and then the stock market, when the credit crisis hit, my portfolio was slaughtered, lost like 50% in within a week, Right. And the thing, and actually that brings to me to another point is people always talk about market crashes. They talk about like real estate market crashes. So anyone who's worried about a crash that's coming. So we, we, we already had a correction. Who knows if we're going to have another one, the demand and supply curves, you know, demands crazy for Ontario real estate, the amount of population growth that we have. But so the worst correction in Toronto real estate history. So I always refer to Toronto, even though, I don't invest in Toronto primarily. I have a property in Toronto, but the history can be an indicator of what's going to happen, right? So I always look back to 1988, 1989, that the crash of the Toronto market. And so when people say, oh, the market's going to crash, market's going to crash, the market's going to crash. So I always ask people to quantify it. How much did the market drop in a year? And then people like, they don't really have an answer. Then they're starting to reach, they're trying to guess. So they go like, oh, 35%. And then I'll say to them, do you know, it actually took about three years from the top to be down 35%. Like, don't you think you could, you know, take two months out from the peak and sell before you got the 35% loss, 
right? Mm-hmm. And then I always tell those people, speak to investors who were investing back then, especially the ones that did well. And just ask them why they did well. So my friend Jane, for example, she actually tried to sell her tripex in Toronto. During that time. During that time. She okay. failed to sell it. You know, she paid somewhere around 200 grand for it. I think I'm sure your listeners are like, holy cow. I wish I'd bought that triplex for 200 grand. And now it's worth like, you know, like 1.3, 1. 1. <laughs> 1.4, something so like that. she wanted out, couldn't sell it during that time. Uh, probably asking for maybe even less than what she paid for it, possibly. And uh, yeah, so your advice is ride out the storm. Yeah, make sure you can ride out the storm. Sure. Right. I mean, I've always the- said that, especially especially if the rents are strong through those periods, which generally mm-hmm. they are, like you said, for various reasons. But, mm-hmm. you know, people can't afford housing um, or can't afford mortgages. So they're tending to rent. And if you can ride out that storm, then what is it? I don't know exactly. But I, I mean, I think it is. It's something like historically over the last hundred years, it's been 5% year over year. You know, mm-hmm. if you look back over the last hundred years. So you can't you can't go wrong with that. Some years it's up, some years it's down. As long as you're able to ride through those rocky times, then you should be able to come out ahead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So even if people look at the last crisis in the States, so also the credit crisis, if people just go look back at 2007, 2008, if you just look at rents for, for like Boston, Chicago, these are big American cities, so it's easier to get stats for those cities versus it's harder to get stats for like major cities in Toronto. Uh, New York City, if you just look at the rents for all those major cities, which are simple, New York's probably not a good example, but Chicago, Boston, which are kind of similar to Toronto, like the rents went up during the credit crisis, right? Remove what happened to price, right? And also there's a different environment in the States versus it was here. That's why we recovered. That's why the dip was only two months in prices in Toronto Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. versus the slaughtering in the US, especially crazy overheated markets like Las Vegas. That was just crazy. So I'm trying to just get a little more of your background out of you again before I move on. I know I'm sort of dwelling, but um, <laughs> but I, I do want to... Okay, hey, so, you're the top host in, in Canada, so you know you keep doing what you do because it's working. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I Just keep telling me that every time we talk. I like, I like <laughs> um, Rob, I, I'm a big fan of you, so I wish you knew how many big fans there are of you. You know, every like, once I- in a while when we're out, someone comes up to me and I always don't know how to handle it, you know? Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Uh, Only on Friday. But nobody, like- nobody knows who I am until I talk. They could be standing beside <laughs> me for an hour. But, uh, you know, <laughs> it's good. I, I really like it when that happens. But, um, okay, so anyway, what I, what I was getting to is, okay, so that first property was sort of not really your thing. That was more your ex-wife's mm-hmm. thing. Um, so Oh, we, so- we uh, when we got, we eventually moved into it. Yeah, so it, it was a matrimonial home and all that. And so. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but did you do any more investing or was it after, you know, you're out on your own and then you took the next step again? No, we, we uh, invested with her family on several other properties. Okay, so more or less it was her that sort of got you into it then, really? Big cat. Well, it's actually her, her father. Her father. So it was my okay. ex's father. So okay. my ex father-in-law, if that's the correct term, he was the one. He was going starting on his journey at the same time, on um, starting down this path of real estate investing. We made some massive mistakes at the beginning. Just you know, it's gonna happen when you're on your own. You know, you've read a book, so you have some idea what to do. But then you know the term. Everything's everything's uh, relative. 
Everything's relative. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. That's why you're the top host in Canada. So <laughs> everything's relative. So when you're a new investor, you don't really have context. Say we didn't, we probably didn't even look at 20 houses, right? Before we were like buying, we, we owned like five at the time. So <laughs> how's that? So we owned five houses and we probably looked at 20, mm-hmm. right? And then when you become an active investor, you know, I've looked at hundreds of houses. So I know what the top 20% looks like now. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So my investing today is very, very different than what I did in the beginning. But at even, least it was, but at least you got started. Getting started is so important. I would even venture to say that we know what those top 20 are before we even go look at them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We only focus on the top 20% and then we only buy the top 20% of those. <laughs> so you do work with a lot of joint venture partners. You have a creative and interesting joint venture structure. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, so I've I've actually shied away with doing joint ventures and my business started to have a lot of customers and clients and I wasn't interested in having to be basically married to another customer who, you know, because I hadn't had the greatest experience with some, with, with some JVs. Again, I don't want to babysit anyone. I don't want to be responsible for anyone else's money and stuff like that on that level. But something that's starting new is uh, starting a partnership with uh, my wife who will be our CFO. Uh, Andy Tran, I think everyone knows who Andy is, basement apartment extraordinaire, and uh, Charles Waugh was a pretty successful developer. So we're joint venturing on uh, properties. And so my job will be, you know, to raise the money. And then Andy and Charles, their job is to execute on the investments. So it's a, that's the other thing. Part of the reason why I did my joint venture was I didn't have the time to I needed to give to the, my investment side of the business. Like I've struggled for years that my portfolio, I feel has not gotten the attention it deserves, right? I've been spending a lot of time coaching my coaches and coaching our clients. And we always put our clients first, right? They get to buy a property before I get to buy it, which is actually funny because like the last three properties I bought were properties that my clients passed on mm-hmm. or they failed to sell them. <laughs> so I bought them. <laughs> So that's how my portfolio grows. Everyone else has to pick through it before I before I'm allowed to buy it. But now we're working on something a little bit different. And again, uh, a lot of what's taught about JVing is usually it's usually around just you. You got to do everything. You got to raise the money. You got to go do the deals. You got to go find the deals. You got to manage the investments. You got to manage the property manager. You got to manage construction. That is a lot to do, right? Especially if you want to scale up. So now I've got strategic partners who are pretty much best in the industry people you trust with all your money and that's how we're going to grow this business. So as far as the raising of the, of the capital goes though, for the deals, what is your plan there? When you're good at what you do, like for example, I've I've been around long enough to see that when people are good at what they do, uh, money will follow them. Right. I have a pretty successful track record of being a good investor. Same with Charles and Andy. So we'll just put it out there. That's available to folks because we're starting an LP, Mm -hmm. a limited partnership. So then we can scale up. And uh, one of our first LP, we may start with one or two. One might be development, and, but we're definitely going to have a, um, a legal secondary suite fund LP. Okay. So I'll, we'll raise money and then we'll use that money to deploy, to acquire and own, buy and hold uh, properties that we can legally basement suite. And like, who would you rather manage that than Mr. Andy Tran? Right. So with your prior JV deals that you've done, you mentioned that some of them didn't go quite the way that you wanted them to. Mm-hmm. They've um, been successful. It's just, uh, it's, it's just, I don't want to manage relationships at that level. Right. It's not, 
it's not worth my time. So is this new venture? It's more of a, it's more of just a capital investment with a with a fixed return kind of thing based on performance. Oh, or like this is all new. Okay. We're, we're meeting with a we're meeting with an <laughs> exempt market dealer on Friday. <laughs> okay, because I mean that's it is interesting and it's different. But uh, I think you know when people are starting out, those headaches are worth it. Um, yes, as far as you know, joint ventures and stuff like that go. Yeah, you have to go and, through it. And because I wouldn't tough. have gotten to here without it. Sure. And a lot of times, you know, you probably know as well as I do, those people now, they're bringing the money. And even though you've got this structure laid out where more or less in, in my case, I was the expert JV partner. So I was responsible for do, like the renos and all of the physical work and management mm-hmm. of the property and the project, like you said. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of times when people are putting up the money, they feel mm-hmm. like maybe their zero expertise might be a little bit more than what, right. what yours is. And right. sometimes that can cause some tension. Did that kind of thing ever happen with you? Oh yeah, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, that's... and then, and then like early on, like I'm sure other people who've done joint ventures can appreciate this. For example, like one of our first was we did fifty fifty, including capital, and mm-hmm. so we put in capital as well. Okay, but then we did all the work, right? They made it put up the put up the credit, and the returns were fantastic. But to me, that wasn't you know when you get busy. I think everyone can appreciate, you know, anyone who works a job, for example, you make, you make an hourly rate. Even if you make a salary, you can work it down to an hourly rate. You make, mm-hmm. you make 50 grand a year, your hourly rate is roughly $25 an hour, right? If you're a good investor, say, for example, like take Quentin, for example, his time is probably worth 600 to $1,000 an hour, right? Sure. So if you're, if you're giving up a lot of your equity in a deal and you had to put equity in it as well, your, your rate goes down. So now... Same thing as what Rich Dad Poor Dad was talking about was you were selling your time for cheap, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not a fan of that. Yeah, I think it's tough. And that's what a lot of investors do first off is, mm-hmm. I mean, some of them do the opposite, but but a lot of them undervalue what they're bringing to mm-hmm. uh, a deal, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, especially me, when I first started, it was very, very hard for me to understand that I was bringing any kind of value to the table inexperience right right because money is like anyone could just do what i was doing you know they all mm-hmm. they had to do is just go apply themselves right mm-hmm. i mean if they've got the money it's it's pretty simple but right. it's just i guess figuring out what pieces you're missing and then trying right. to fill those in right right, right. or just filling out what you don't figuring <laughs> out what you don't like to do and then have someone else do it right that's part of the point of meeting with this uh, an exact market dealer on friday is that their job will be to manage the client relationships, the client meaning the investor, mm-hmm. the folks who are bringing the capital, mm-hmm. right? Because that's the part I don't want to do because be, there'll be many of them. I'm always only one of me. So I'm always looking for highest and best use of my time, right? Oh. Highest and best use of my time is raising capital. And then someone else can manage that relationship after that. Okay. Well, once this is all up and running, I mean, we usually put the links for everybody's... Um like for all of your contact information and everything. But I mean, we can always update it. I know you don't have it right now. No, I don't. But yeah. I'm having a new website built right now. This erwincito.com. Okay. I think that's what it is. It'll probably <laughs> be up by the time we get this out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even if people check back later, it'll be there. Now, this is kind of a loaded question, but what do you feel is the best way to set yourself up for success as a real estate investor? So you've got nothing yet. What would Erwin Zito do if he was doing I'd it show. over again? Something that I've always done is I always showed up, right? Take Rain, for example. My first five years, maybe six years, 
let's go six years. Let's go five years to keep it conservative. I missed maybe three meetings out of, so it's, that's five years, 12 meetings a year, 60 meetings. I missed maybe three Mm -hmm. and they were all planned that I missed them because I was going on vacation. Right. I never missed it for any other reason. I was always showed up. I was always there to learn. I was always there to meet people. Right. So, and then like people like Doug and Anna, you know, Doug and Anna from, from Cambridge. No, they, I don't think I do. They're from Cambridge, but they're at every Jeremiah event right now. Oh, okay. Right. right. They go to everything. <laughs> they go to Keyspire. They have their own event and they go drive across town from Cambridge to, you guys are in Pickering, Jeremiah. We're in Ajax now. Yeah. Aj- Ajax. Okay. But still, that's a long drive, no matter what it is. <laughs> Pickering, Ajax, Whitby, it's all a long drive from Cambridge. Yeah, right? it's growing they like show crazy up. too. You know, there was 150 people there last time, so it's really hard to get mm-hmm. to know everybody. I used to know everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you, it's impossible. But uh, okay, cool. Maybe then, I'll have to reach out and meet them next time. Yeah, you'll see them because they keep showing up. They'll never miss a meeting. You'll, okay. you'll recognize them. I'm pretty sure I saw Quentin post a picture and they're both sitting in the front row. <laughs> but that's what I think is awesome. And I think that's what's often missed is a lot of people don't show up. Like how many Jerome REI meetings do you miss? Not very many. Not very See? many. They only have exactly. a ton a year, but I can count on my hand how many I've missed in the last like five years. Exactly. Yeah. So show up, learn, take notes, get off your phone, talk to people be good, right? Do the right thing because your reputation is all you got, especially when you're new. And if you screw someone over, people talk. Yeah. Right. And I would say, honestly, there's got to be like an action element to follow that up because I mean, even if you're talking about Durham REI, one of the things that uh, Quentin has started doing is in the meeting, he'll kind of say, well, it's great of you to come here. I appreciate everyone coming. Now, if you don't take action, don't come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's a, uh, it's pretty harsh, but you know that's why we're all there, right? We're not there to just learn and learn and learn and learn and do nothing with that. It doesn't. Yeah, it's yeah. not. That's not going to make us any money. That's not going to yeah, get yeah, us yeah. into any deals. So yeah, I definitely think that there is a an action element that goes along with that as well. Because there are some people that I see there, right? They'll come up to me and especially these people that want to learn how to do no money down stuff. Mm. Uh, a lot of times they, they come to me and you know, they, they'll have heard that I used to do wholesaling like quite a bit and people come up and say, okay, so I'm going to be a wholesaler. I'm going to do it. Like, you know, make it work. I'm quitting my job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll say, okay, well, how about start with, you know, putting out an ad, mm-hmm. right? Like, what have you done? Nothing. Okay. We'll start with putting out an ad or something. Right, right. And then you'll see them next month. And say, well, what did you? What have you done? And I say, oh, did you put out an ad yet? No, but I'm going to do that really soon. I, I, yeah. this time I'm going to do that again. Right. So, I mean, baby steps, but I think some kind of action has to go along with that as well. So, for the business that we're starting with, with I'm starting with my LP. Like, I need leads as well. So, as soon as the decision was made, my website's already up. Mm-hmm. My flyer's already written. I'm just my assistant's tracking down someone to handle to deliver them door to door because we're we're delivering them to they do post box, you know the super boxes or whatever they're called right community boxes mailboxes no 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 I want them door to door, right, and it's just now me working with Andy to find the right zoning, I guess that's all I need to do right I already have a good idea what neighborhoods we need to target 
just want to double, double confirm that with, uh, with for zoning. And then my mailer will probably go out next week. Mm-hmm. Like move luck favors those who move fast. Right. Like your podcast is a good example. Like say our podcasts are even even in terms of quality, right? Say they are. I know yours is much better, <laughs> but because you went, you were ahead of me, you get more larger listenership than I do. Right. Okay. So people, it's called first mover advantage. We learned that in school all the time. Right. It's like, you know, I'm trying to think of an, an easy example. Like take, for example, like Amazon or eBay, they were the first of what they did. And there's lots of me too companies out there, but they don't do nearly as well. No, here's a good example is like the tablet, right? Tablet PCs. So who did the iPad was the first, right? Mm-hmm. And they dominated in market share. And then, and then everyone tried to come up with one as well. Like Blackberry. Remember Blackberry came up with the tablet. They had like nothing of the market share. No, Microsoft came up with one. Yeah, exactly. Because it died quickly, right? It probably partly killed the company. Uh, MP3 players, right? Apple was the first. And then, and then they own like 40, 50, 60% of the market share. And then everybody else is a Me Too product. But Apple got the attention, mm-hmm. right? And I remember Microsoft Zoom came out. And that was hilarious. You know, it was probably a perfectly good product. But because they came late to the party, uh, they didn't survive. So my point being is you're doing something good. You have a good idea. You gotten good advice, action immediately, right? Because someone else like me will start trying to find wholesale deals myself and I'll go full send and throw money behind it, right? So you need to get ahead of people like me. You know what? I've noticed that you are actually a rabid action taker. I'll, I'll even call you that because, <laughs> you know, just in, the, you. just in the few dealings that I've had with you so far, it's like you get an idea and then you go boom and you're off. Right. Yeah. And, and I do that too, but not to the extent that you do it. Like, yeah. And I, and I think it's great. You've got that, uh, what is it? Shoot ready aim kind of, uh, totally. <laughs> I said that today. Yeah. I was telling my team today, but the, about the LP, like, I know we don't have details, but we got to move because mm-hmm. we may have a deal next week. Right. That needs to go into the LP. So if there's no LP, the deal, the deal can't go into the LP. I'll have to sell it off. Right. Mm-hmm. So now you talked a little bit about scaling before, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's your advice on how people can start scaling if that's what they want to do? So they buy a couple of um, single families or whatever, even duplexes, mm-hmm. and now they want to keep going to scale yeah, yeah. to bigger stuff. First thing, two things that come to mind is get property management and get an assistant. Right. Because the, uh, there's actually a lot of investors who still don't have property managers. And then my first hire in my business was my assistant, mm-hmm. right? When I became a realtor, I had, I hired my first assistant within six weeks because the paperwork was killing me and not to be political because this was back in 2010, Donald Trump wasn't who he is now. I, I would say is, uh, you know, he was, you know, someone I put on a pedestal because he fantastic real estate investor. Right. And I, my thinking was, what would Donald Trump do? Donald Trump doesn't answer his own phone. He doesn't do his own paperwork. I need an assistant. Mm-hmm. He right. does do his own tweets, though. Does he? That's scary. <laughs> so scary. So, yeah, no, exactly. But but I mean, what about like these smaller real estate investors? They're not going to go out and get an assistant. I, they I should. Don't think you do? Yeah, because you get them to manage your mailers, for example. That's what my assistant's doing. So in other words, you're scaling up to like you want to be a full-time investor. Like that's, I guess that's the goal you're thinking. Yeah, if we're going to have an LP, it might as well make it worthwhile, right? Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, uh-huh. like for the advice that you're giving, though, the advice is go full time, not more, more. Not necessarily. Like, because even if you have a full time job, how are you going to have time to do mailers? Like, you're, like the, the person that you're talking about, like they want to become a wholesaler, right? My thing is, if I say I'm going to do something, so I'm a big person on, I, I'm a big person that I always believe if you're going to, if you say it, you got to do it. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm always careful with my words. So if I'm saying I'm going to do something, I give myself two weeks. If I don't do it within two weeks, I have to delegate or outsource it. Mm. Or I just know I won't do it. I like right? that. That's actually really good. For example, I haven't mowed my own lawn in years. Years. Right? There was a lawnmower in my house when I bought it. It's been almost five years. Never turned it on. Turned really it nice on. One too. There you go. Yeah, that, never even turned it on. That's your first indicator that... Uh, that you've never touched it. It's it's electric, right? Oh, so okay. I've stolen, <laughs> I stole I stole the like, extension cord for something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I did mow lawn my my parents' lawn when I was a kid, but I haven't mowed a lawn for I don't even remember how long. I have a lawn. I have a pie shaped lot with lots of grass, mm-hmm. right? But again, I haven't mowed a lawn in in a long time. Well, you know, I remember uh, Jeff Woods was on our show, and that was one of the things he's that awesome. he brought up. He's, he is awesome. He's got some really good motivation as far as uh, just like mindset and just action. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that he was saying. And and to sort of dive into your point of what you're worth per hour, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, you can still do stuff if you enjoy it. If somebody enjoys cutting their grass and that gives them yeah, some totally. time to clear their head or whatever, that's not what we're saying. Yeah, but I agree with you. It's like if you could be better, if you can make better use of your time mm-hmm. or make more money with that time that you would mm-hmm. otherwise be spending doing something you don't like, right. then those are the kind of things that you're right. talking about. You know what, Sandy? Most property investors are really good at finding the right deal and negotiating a good price. However, even longtime investors would tell you that they have faced significant losses when overlooking some of the pitfalls that pop up unexpectedly. I know I have, uh, when everything seems to be going so well. Vandalism by tenants, flood damage, slip and fall lawsuits are only some of the grave issues that investors must protect themselves from, or else they may find themselves digging deep into their pockets to repair damaged property, replace rental income, or even defend themselves in a legal case. For peace of mind and to protect your property, we recommend our listeners to contact their insurance broker to review their policy. Or we know a great guy, an experienced and former guest on our show, on The Insurance Guy. You can reach him at theinsurers.ca and let him know Rob and Sandy sent you. That's theinsurers.ca. Like I have a nanny, uh, which is almost like the MVP in my household, other than my wife. So for example, like, I'm sure you appreciate this. You got kids, right? At five o'clock today, I'm going to call it quits. Me and my wife and my kids are going to hop in the hot tub until it's dinner time. Right. And then we're going to eat dinner together and then we sh- we'll shower them and stuff, read them their stories. And then I can go back to work because my nanny is cleaning up the kitchen after we've done eating. Right. So I can spend more time with my kids without my phone and I can get back to work by like eight o'clock. Okay. For a lot of people, like they can, I'm playing devil's advocate. I can totally sure. put myself into the mind frame of someone hearing this on the other side of the, mm-hmm. uh, 
the radio and going, yeah, that's easy enough for you to say. I mean, you've already made a bunch of money and of course you can afford mm-hmm. to do that stuff and give yourself that freedom. Mm-hmm. So what, what would you say to somebody that said something like that? So for my example, my assistant, I wasn't making enough money as a realtor to pay for her. I was still paying her out of my wages because mm-hmm. I was working part-time still at IBM, right? I'm always willing to invest. And I maybe think that's something that's missing from some people is that like every venture that I'm getting into, I'm willing to invest. No different than a property. I'm willing to take money out of my HELOC if I have to, to get something going, right? And that'll give me the time. That'll give me the, the space in order to execute whatever I need to do. That'll get me that hourly rate that I was looking for, like mm-hmm. six to $600 to $1,000 an hour, whatever it is. And that allows me to afford everything else. It affords my landscaper, my nanny, those sorts of things. So it's a bigger picture type thing then. It's yeah, because you cannot like grow. Cliche. How else do you grow? Yeah, exactly right? that cliche saying, I guess you, it takes money to make money. Right? Yes, like, but you have to make the investment, both yeah. time and the money, right? And it's a reminder, like on the weekends when our nanny's not working, is like, you know, we have to go clean up the kitchen. I'm like, I really don't want to be doing this. I'm exhausted. It's like eight o'clock at night. The kids are in bed. I'd rather be doing something else, right? Mm-hmm. So like that regular reminder that I, my time is better spent. And again, like I can, on a weeknight, I can usually get back to working at eight o'clock and trying to make that $600,000 an hour type work. Mm-hmm. Now there is a rising popularity in people that are calling themselves experts and coaches mm-hmm. and offering uh, courses and all that kind of stuff. What mm-hmm. advice would you have for people who are looking into getting advice from other people like this? Right. Maybe just right. to vet these people and make sure that they're the, the ones that are really adding some value, I guess. Right. So my thing is I always want to be working with the best of the best. Right. So you think about your industry, whatever it is, who is the best of the best of the best. Right. So if I'm going to hire a coach, I'm going to go to like Don Campbell or Russell Westcott or like Quentin D'Souza. Right. Why do I need to go to anybody else? That's where I'm going to start my own opinion. And that's how I run my own business as well. My objective is to be the best of the best of the best. Once you're the top 20%, now be the top 20% of the top 20%. So be the top 4%. So you'd have to actively seek those people out. But how do you distinguish, say, those people that you named, who I know too, and I would put them on that same pedestal, Mm -hmm. from the other person that maybe doesn't offer that quality and that experience and, and everything? Right. So a good example is like that's out of our industry would be Craig Ballantyne, who we, that we both saw speak at the Rockstar member event. Right. Okay. I know he's legit because I've followed him for years. I've followed him since at least 2004, I think. So I've seen his success. And then Small World, one of his clients, one of the clients that he coached, became crazy successful, made lots of money. And then he became my client because he needed to deploy that cash. Mm-hmm. He's making so much money, just like a lot of investors. You have so much money, you'd like that money to be working for you, right? So then he tells me his story. And then we can like, oh, we both know Craig Ballantyne. I just know him as a follower. He knows him as a good friend and he was coached by him like back in, you know, 2004, mm-hmm. right? So Craig, to me, is a successful coach because he's made somebody rich who credits him for their success. Right. So go ask, like, give me a reference. If you're going to want, if you want to hire someone to be a mentor or coach, Mm -hmm. right. Give me a reference. It's usually not hard to find. Right. 
like my references are not hard to find. Mm-hmm. Track like, record. I, it's track record. There's so many people with no track record. And like, for example, people always ask how many properties you own. Like at the beginning, I didn't really want to share, like, you know, kind of private. It's actually a Chinese thing too, that you're not supposed to, sh- you're not supposed to like brag or anything like that. But it, it's, it's necessary, I think, in business. If you want to attract money, if you want to attract clients, you have to share, right? So I'll openly share. I share what I have. I'll give you the addresses. I'll drive by them with you, right? And then same with my clients, my clients that I coach, you know, I host my own networking meetings. You can come meet them. It's an open invite. I invite my entire email list to come to my events. So if someone hates me, they'll probably show up and start badmouthing me to everybody because I don't block them. Right. And that's a control on me. That's a control on my client and my coaches as well. Right. So like find a coach who's produced multimillionaires because it's not that hard. Right. I've done it. Quentin's done it, right? Russell's done it. Yeah. Don's done it. Lots of people haven't. So to me, like what makes you a coach that someone should pay thousands of dollars for if you have not produced multimillionaires? You know what? All of those people have been on the show too, except Don Campbell. I'm not a one. Really? You just need to ask. (laughs) I should actually. Maybe you can hook me up with uh, who to talk to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His people. I was just exchanging IMs with him earlier to set our next lunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's confirmed. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lunch with Don Campbell. Yeah, and that's like an indication. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to brag. This is just honest. Is because I've done good work. Yes. I've helped yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. Right? I've delivered a lot of value. So folks like Don will talk to me. So if you're looking to get a mentor, you know, raise money, if you have an extensive track record of being good, doing the right thing, being likable, being likable often because you can help people, right? People will talk to you. People will have lunch with you. Well, I guess we already sort of just just explained that. But, you know, you are one of those guys where your reputation does precede you wherever you go. So let's roll into how you built that. Maybe right. what you just said, but what else? Right. So like just like showing up. I show up every day at work. And that means, uh, so that started off in 2010. I blogged every week, mm-hmm. right? Every week in order to build an email list. And then I would send my blog to that list every week, almost never failing every week. And now when I switched to the podcast close two and a half years ago, it became podcasting every week. I missed a couple of those early on. I had a blog in between, but still, my email list was being touched once a week, right? And a lot of people will not do that. A lot of people, like especially realtors, because we can. It's tough to keep going, right? When you've got it's, when the pipeline seems full, you sort of relax a little bit. I still know it's got to go. It's scheduled yeah. in my calendar. It has yeah. to happen, right? So that's good. So it's persistence, really, like hard persistence. work. Persistence, really, that things that uh, create success in general. Yeah. Yeah. Like you do a flyer every week, you're going to get business, right? You door knock every week, you're going to get business, right? Whatever it is, these are just the mediums that I chose. Mm-hmm. The point is what I do is highly visible. <laughs> I'm not hiding anything, uh-huh. right? And it's taught by a lot of the experts like Dan Kennedy, right? I'm a big Dan Kennedy student. So what I do is easily replicated, but people won't do it. So those early posts that you were talking about, so that was one of your first things that you mentioned is what you mm-hmm. did was you just started putting out blog posts every week. 
Mm-hmm. So when you were doing that, like what kind of stuff were you putting out? What kind of like were you doing just my own experience in this and that, or were you yeah, gathering information that. from other? Yeah, that too. This yeah. mixing is just always mixing it up. Just like the podcast is now, it's always mixing up my own experience. I bring in a lot of guests. So actually, back to the blog, specifically blog post, it was like if I saw an interesting article, I blog about it. Okay, you know, like for example, I just had an election, but it has massive implications to real estate values, right? So I would blog about it. I should probably podcast about it. <laughs> now that I think about it. <laughs> uh, okay. So that's interesting. So basically, yeah, make others aware of what you're doing. And if you can show them what you're doing as you go along, like um, yeah. document your journey, then mm-hmm. that's going to build your credibility as well. Right. But the documenting has to be value. Because when I'm talking about the election, I'm talking about the implication of it to real estate. So then for a lot of people uh, want to be and, and making the information more consumable, mm-hmm. right? This is what happened. You don't have to read the whole thing. I'll, I'll, I'll boil it down to like three to five bullet points, what you need to know, right? And that's valuable for people. Mm-hmm. And all I'm doing is taking information I should already be reading. And these are my thoughts on it and how I'm going to implement, what I'm going to implement in order to make money. Right. Because that's what I do with every piece of information I get. Right. Every piece of the information that comes into my head is what do I do with it? Either ignore it, you know, say it's like, you know, that's something Doug Ford does to piss off people. Right. So what am I going to do with it? Am I going to go protest? No. So I'm going to like get rid- I'm just going to leave it out of my head. And then you hear something about like light rail transit in Hamilton. Like, hmm, what are you going to do about it? Oh, it's going to go these areas. I should probably have a look at those areas. Right. How do I capitalize? Mm-hmm. And that's everything too. I was like, how do I capitalize on something? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Now, you started the Hamilton Basket Brigade, mm-hmm. and you do a lot of good things. You On holidays, you'll help feed people who are in need. So I think it's great charity. How did you start that? So I was started off, I was helping out uh, the Mississauga Basket Brigade for about four years. And then one time they had us, had us do a delivery from, like we were operating Mississauga. They had us go do a delivery near, near the Don Valley Parkway in Toronto. And... I was already thinking like, you know, as a pragmatist, I consider myself a pragmatist. Like, why are we out here? Right. There's plenty of work to do in our own backyard in Hamilton. So that was Thanksgiving. So then the, then the following Christmas, so that's 2014 Thanksgiving. And then, so we started planning for Christmas 2014 that uh, my friend Roger and I, we would each do uh, three families. We would provide Thanksgiving dinner uh, groceries to three families each. So six families in total. I told Roger, Hey, uh, your kids go to school. So you go to their schools anyways, ask the teachers and principals how many, like to get us our customers, as we call them, the families that we're helping. And I also said, okay, we do pretty well as investors in, in our businesses. So we're not going to say no to anybody, right? So then the next day he comes back and says, okay, I know we said six, we have 16, right? Like, whoa, boy. <laughs> we didn't know what, so then we started reaching out. And again, like, Having helped a lot of people, I had a lot of favors to call in, right? So I called in favors for people and and it's all real estate investors, almost entirely real estate investors that donated. Real estate investors is more than 80% of our donations and the volunteers is a bit more mixed, but still it's actually real estate investors probably make up 50 to 60% of our volunteers. And then, yeah, they all gladly helped. So then Christmas bloomed to 36 families. Same Christmas because we were getting all this extra help. We said we wouldn't say no. We got more funds. People are donating. People are helping. And then we doubled every event after that, just as like a just trying to be ambitious because we could. 
Mm-hmm. So then Easter 2015 was 75. Thanksgiving 2015 was 150. The following Christmas of 2015 was 225 families, I think. And then we had we couldn't keep doubling. So then right. Easter, you can't keep doubling Easter, after that. You can't keep doubling. No. We had lots of logistical issues, but you know, you're looking because, at the list and it says Irwin Zito. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But there's just so much love that this was able to happen. Yeah, and, it's amazing. Um, I haven't been out to your event, but I've been to the Durham REI Basketball mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. um, the just you know when you go out there and see all the investors because it is, uh, you know, ninety percent of investors from that group that go out there and support that and uh, mm-hmm. give their time, go out and and hand out these baskets, and it is it's pretty amazing feeling. Uh, one time when we were out. And I'm sure you've probably had the same experience. I mean, some people, they'll just, because it's anonymous, right? When we drop mm-hmm. it off anyway, we just kind of say, uh, this is from somebody who cares about you. We don't know who it is. We're just delivery guys. And some people will just take it and, and just slam the door. Mm-hmm. But other times, like, people are so touched by it. And they, mm-hmm. you know, they'll break down. Mm-hmm. And that's when, you know, you've really done something and it does make you feel good. I know that it's not necessarily about us feeling good, but that's a like a uh, just a, a happy bonus, I guess, that comes along with it. All right. Right. And how much do you enjoy the happy bonus? Well, quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so we actually tweaked our charity for Thanksgiving because we had the same customer feedback, not customer, our volunteer feedback that you were mentioning. Mm-hmm. People would just like take it. We actually had people say like, can you hurry it up? Or like, hey, you're late. Right, right. Right. Yeah. Stuff like that. So we tweaked it. So we did 350, 350 families for Easter. So then instead for Thanksgiving, we took the same budget and boiled it down to the 40 most neediest families in Hamilton. And then we used the same budget to deploy. Uh, so it worked out to roughly $100 a person. Okay. And because they knew they were coming, the surprise was gone because we were, we were registered. We were too big, right? And also just to uh, protect the people that were getting us our, our names, we could no longer be anonymous. So we actually sent home with the families a wish list. Tell us what you want. So then, you know, it's the feedback's been more of your happy bonuses. Yeah. That's going right? to be a daunting task though, to pick just it is. 40 that, that. Well, that's not the hard part. <laughs> no? That's not the hard part. No. Okay. No. Like, again, I try to kind of treat this like a business. Like that's not my role. That's uh, we have volunteers within the school boards that do that for us. Okay. So I'm sure that's a very hard thing for them to do. But when you read the stories, like we, for example, we had one kid, the school administrators had flagged this kid. Like we keep the close eye on this kid because he often comes to school and he hasn't eaten. So that's another thing about the, that's impressive about the Hamilton school board is uh, they are do a wonderful job in helping out their students, but still the kid does not eat when he leaves school. Right. So no breakfast, no dinner. And they reported that he actually passed out at school one day. So this sort of shit pisses the fucking shit out of me. Right? My kid was born into this and then nothing to do with the situation. So who's going to step up? And it's just like, just like investing. No one's going to step up to help us. Right? Can I have, CPP will probably be bankrupt at the time. That's our retirement age. Right? No one's going to help us. No one's going to help these people. So someone's got to step up. And... Well, I mean, best of luck on the future, you know, brigade, basket brigade. So it yeah, is a we great do it all thing. again for Christmas. And, and you know, um, <laughs> again, like we said, when, if people want to get involved, if there, there's obviously going to be a link to this event or to help the cause out anyways in the show notes. So people can do that 
and I suggest that they do. Um, yeah, and again, like it's it's happy bonuses the whole way because it's it's just completely overwhelming for these kids, especially to be receiving brand new goods. Right? It's just it's beyond a meal. Uh, we had lots of requests for winter clothing and boots. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, buy them all brand new, and uh, again, it's it's overwhelming for them. It's crazy because we're not used to that. Like you, I'm sure your fan, you buy stuff for your kids. It's always brand new. My kids don't appreciate boots. They just like put them on brand new boots, whatever, put them on. But for a kid who's like seven years old, never had brand new anything. And here it is, right? It's brand new pair of boots. And I'm, I don't know if they feel this way. I don't know if they feel shame in wearing rundown clothing and jackets and boots and shoes, whatever, but they probably do. Cause uh, I think us as adults can appreciate that. If we look shabby when we show up to work every day, you probably don't feel good about yourself. But when you put on a brand new, whatever, you know, brand new dress, brand new shirt, brand new pants, leggings, jacket, whatever, probably feel much better about yourself. Well, I think it's interesting the direction that you've went on too, as far as that yeah. goes. So, yeah, we're trying to have more of an impact and make it a better experience, more bonus moments, like you're saying. For yeah. our and I'm really interested in hearing about how that goes because I really like the impact I think that you're having on the on that group mm-hmm. of people. It's mm-hmm. awesome. So the, just like investing, like we don't really know what we're doing. We we started with three families. And now we ended up with this, you know, three, like th- we were talking about three families. So that's like a, you know, $300 budget. Let's call it that. Mm-hmm. Start with a $300 budget. Our last event was well over $20,000. We don't really know what we're doing, but we threw a party. It was hilarious. So we have a volunteer who likes to dress as Batman. He regularly goes to uh, hospitals, dresses Batman. He's a health practitioner. I won't give specifics, mm-hmm. but he, he loves that. So he came to our event. Uh, we hosted it in the gymnasium in Hamilton and we have a DJ and uh, my friend Roger used to run a hot dog business. So we had him, we voluntold him to, <laughs> to cook hot dogs and sausages at the event. And I was thinking, this is becoming a birthday party. So we got to buy cake too. And like, we should invite everyone. This is how we're going to draw all the families in, right? We did it last minute. So for Christmas, Spin Master Toys is donating us 200 pieces of toys. 200 toys. So we're going to have a toy room. So we're going to tell all the families, you have to come. You're going to have to come to pick it up. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. So we, it's, we're throwing them a party and my kids get to hand their kids a present and watch them open it. That right? is amazing. Yeah. That's a brilliant yeah. idea. Yeah, you want a happy bonus? There you go. You should come, bro. Tell Zabo to come. Get in the bus. <laughs> okay. Well, the one thing that just caught off the top of my head, and I mean, I guess that's you know, it all works out maybe, but is how do they get there? Bus. Yeah. Uber. Yeah. You want a toy? Cause we'll deliver everything else. Right. Cause it is a lot of stuff. Like it's, it's a car loads of stuff that we're buying. Right. Offer often for people. Like we've had families of 10 children. Right. So one of my volunteers had to, had to drive a van and a pickup truck to deliver all their stuff. Oh wow. And, then they, and because again, we're throwing a party, there's free food. It's in their best interest to come. They dropped their stuff before the party and brought them to the event. Okay. See, that's, that's right? great. And then dropped them off afterwards. Nice. Right. So, yeah. Like, again, like we'll drop off goods for people, but we still want them to come to the event to enjoy themselves. So when does that happen? Where does that happen? I can't give details because of uh, security risk, uh, but it's December 15th. Okay. Yeah, we've we've had stuff go missing, so we can't have that. <laughs> oh, I gotcha. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Jeez, 
I hope none of our listeners would do. <laughs> no, I highly doubt it. I doubt it. Um, okay, yeah, well, that's great. Keep us posted with, um, you know, all the future events and everything. Yeah, yeah, I post my Facebook all the time and my Instagram. So if anyone wants to follow me, that's cool. So you have a podcast. I heard. Yes. I heard yeah. somewhere that you have a podcast. It's called the Truth About Real Estate Investing Podcast. And you've been doing it for now two and a half years, I think you said. Yeah, around there, yeah. Are you enjoying it? Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a lot of work. And now because it's becoming a lot of work, I've had to pay a lot of money for someone else to do a lot of the work. Mm-hmm. So it's not cheap for anyone who wants to get into it. And it's also work. I think a lot of people are afraid of the work. But yeah, it is work. But it's pretty cool to have conversations with folks. Like we mentioned Don Campbell, for example. It is hard to get an hour of one-on-one time with Don Campbell versus you can with a podcast. Right. Same with Quentin. Try to get an hour of Quentin's time. Right. I've had Quentin on twice, dropping his, his episode uh, shortly. Sorry, I'm not That's trying to awesome. plug it. But, no, go ahead. but again, you know, anyone who's listening, go try to get an hour of Quentin's time. Mm-hmm. Right. Not easy. And I, I get a lot of compliments on my questions, but honestly, I'm just like your listener. I am curious and I don't know a lot of stuff. I'm just asking the questions to learn. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's where it comes from. That's why I don't have to prepare questions. I did at the beginning and it was bad. It was awkward. So no one listened to like my first six episodes. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you think, but I'm sure it's <laughs> But uh, it's just it's just easier to, you know, like same with your interview, right? Like there's many things I didn't know. So I couldn't have prepared questions for those things. Right? Like like your wholesaling history. Oh, when I was on your show. Yeah, yeah, when you were on my show. Like, there's okay. many things I don't know. So, that, so there's no preparing questions. So I hope you were cool with that because like 60, probably 80% of your questions were not prepared. <laughs> yeah, now that I think of it, I don't know. I, and yeah, I enjoyed that one. That was fun. You know what? Like, it's not a secret. We started this show for the exact same reason. Just so we could get mm-hmm. people who knew more about things than what we did and, and bombard them with questions for an hour or an hour and a <laughs> half or how long have we been going here? Uh, over an hour now, so and this has been great, right? We're learning all kinds of stuff. So let's wrap it up here now, though. If people want to get in touch with you, Erwin, how would they do that? Uh, social media is easy. Uh, my name is Erwin Cito. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. My website should be ready soon. Paying lots of money for it. <laughs> ErwinCito.com. Those are probably the easiest ways. Yeah, and feel free to reach out. And yeah. Oh, and one of the things that for any new investor is to figure out their why. You, sorry, I'm going back to a question you asked earlier. You're talking about scale, right? So even around the time that I read uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I read Brian Tracy after that. I've mentioned it a couple of times in, in other interviews. The book Maximum Achievement. So if you haven't read it, one of my favorite books ever, Maximum Achievement by Brian Tracy. He asked the question is, if you took away all your roadblocks, what are you capable of? Right? So I've always been a like massive that. fan of superheroes. I've always loved superheroes, uh, Superman, Batman, and then the stupid new movies came out. So now I get Marvel better. (laughs) The DC comics are better than the Marvel comics, but the Marvel movies are much better. But whatever. Always love Spider-Man. The DC shows are good though, Erwin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I love Justice League of America. That cartoon was fantastic. And then there's people characters like Spider-Man. Spider-Man I always found interesting because he never, he always had that conflict with himself that he didn't want to be a hero. He just wanted to be a normal kid. Whereas I'm the exact opposite. I would give up everything to be Spider-Man, right? But again, it's getting off track. So what could you do? What could you do if you took off all your own barriers? What are you capable of? 
right? Think of like Bill Gates. What if you had like Bill Gates money? What would you do with it? Mm. You'd probably be the biggest donor in the world, just like he is. And then you can implement all those change. You know, he's cured millions of people from malaria or whatever diseases are, right? He should be a saint, right? For me, it's my basket brigade. Hamilton is my Gotham city. If I don't do this, if I don't be successful, I won't be able to leave millions of dollars for my foundation that will continue to fund the Bastard Brigade and leave hundreds of thousands of dollars for them to operate every year. So if I don't do this, those hungry people are my fault. <laughs> you know what? I think that is a brilliant way to wrap this up, man. And that is something that people are definitely going to take home with them. Never really thought about it that way in that, you know, what would you do if the roadblocks were gone? Because they're not gone, right? But imagine that, or even down the road, looking at it that you've gotten past them in the future. Right. And where but even just look at us. Are we anyone special with like rocket science IQ or like <laughs> born rich, right? Like what if you didn't become you and you weren't able to help those families for Durham Basket Brigade, right? Those families would go to Hungary, you know? Yeah. Again, you determine what kind of responsibility you want for that, but I could argue that's your fault if that didn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. But because you are you, those families ate. You're heavy, Erwin. You're a heavy guy. This is why I work so hard. Yeah. yeah. Right? And then even on a simpler level, if I don't bust my ass and make money, my kids will starve, right? Well, listen... All of the contact info is going to be on the uh, on the show notes page for your episode, okay? So um, whenever something new comes up... Um, oh, one thing that, that we forgot to mention is like a lot of people might know you as Mr. Hamilton. I know yeah, yeah. you sort of don't go by that much anymore or whatever, but you know, if that rings a bell, well, that's Erwin. <laughs> so, so um, okay. Thank you, Erwin. I really appreciate your time. Uh, awesome interview. We, we did learn a lot, and I really like that last bit of advice there. So thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Rob. It's, a, it's an honor to be on the show. Oh, by the way, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, <laughs> go to uh, mrbreakthrough.ca. That's it. Have a good night. Bye.